You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa, and Borama. And this is the Year End Yak. Hi, everyone. This is Saya. This is Anissa. And this is Borama. And this is the end And this of- is still the Year End Yak. <laughs> 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 still the year and yet. we're still out of practice no matter how many I, years we do you know this. I don't think it's that I I honestly think it's because we're friends and professionalism has no no place uh, <laughs> between us you know a lot of one day, a lot of one day. podcasts with multiple hosts have one host but like none of us really wants to do that no so we just all <laughs> we keep it together very egalitarian yeah exactly that and we it's a co-op pushing it to the other person <laughs> yeah like you you host this one <laughs> okay it's mostly us pushing it to anisa and anisa uh just surviving yeah. under the brunt <laughs> excuse me i just did a whole solo episode i'm a good girl and she's that was amazing we loved it so much very proud we've been made obsolete we could just leave the podcast to saya now (laughs) no excuse me i'm the only one allowed to threaten leaving in the year end yak it's my thing every year we're stealing your tradition i'm stealing it (laughs) how dare you uh, well, Borama has kicked me out of the my demon discussion. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 in our group chat, Saya was telling Anissa that she needs to start watching my demon because Saya and I are both loving it a lot. And immediately, I was like, "Oh no! If Anissa starts watching, and if she doesn't love, love Songkhan in it, which you know, high probability because the boy is trying, he's really trying, but um, no, there are gaps." But and I'm like she doesn't have to love him. The rest of the drama makes up for everything. I else. I, like, I agree, but the shortcoming. You know really what I feel. love about Anisa is that if there is one weak thing about, about a drama, and that weak thing happens to be the male lead, that is a big deal. <laughs> Why does that feel like you're damning me with fate, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's something that you actually love about me. <laughs> I understand what Purama means. It's like you don't give them a pass and they don't deserve a pass, uh, you know, which is fine. But we can enjoy this. But it does stop giving men a pass 2023. (laughs) 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 No, but I will say I started watching My Demon last night. I have watched like an, an episode and a half. And like, I think he has the charisma to carry it. And I think he has really good chemistry with, um, Kim Yoo-jung. That chemistry is And, and also Kim Yoo-jung yeah. makes him better. You know, like in some yes. dramas where like yeah. when one actor is more talented than the other one, the second one just looks washed out and like terrible yeah. in comparison. But she actually makes him better. So yeah, I really does. like him so far. I think he's doing a good job. That's really well put. Why, thank very you. Very well put. <laughs> so I'm excited. I'm excited to like watch more because I know that. Y'all are really loving it. You, so. you and plus, are, I need to watch Borama's video. So yes. I need to catch yeah. up quickly. Anybody who's finished the first eight episodes of My Demon, please go watch my video. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody tell Borama if they don't like these 
Flower Boy actors. Yes, I don't. I I I don't want to. I don't want to hear. We're, we're not allowed to say bad things about Chanu. <laughs> you can email me about all of your complaints. I will. I will correspond with you. We can complain about Chanu. It's fine. It's it's a loving criticism. So Le- leave yeah. my and I can boy take alone. it even if I don't agree. With I love Chanu. I just don't see him through rose colored glasses. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. This is not a back on track. Back yeah, on track. This, we're talking about <clears throat> the year. So. Yeah. Which is ending on a better note, honestly, than it started. This is true. Well, yeah. in some yeah. respects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, in others. Yeah, true. We'll absolutely. We will absolutely get to it because that's important. But yeah. what I meant by uh, this was that Dramaland did seem to hold back a lot of its better dramas um, till the end of 2023. And we're going to talk about... Yeah how inundated we have been with dramas um, in the last few years, but it feels like, especially last year and this year, it feels like every few seconds we are getting like really high quality dramas. These all have high production value, but like most of them aren't really sticking in our minds. We were recently talking about um, a few dramas out of 2012, 2013, and it's incredible how many memorable dramas came out of those years, dramas that have like a high rewatch value for us. But it's mm-hmm. really hard to even think back to 2022 and think of like five dramas that that really, you know, stick out immediately. Um I'm sure if we work hard, we can think of like good dramas. We especially us where we have made this like half hour job to stay updated on how many dramas are coming out each year. But it's not the same as, you know, drama sticking to you naturally just because they are so good. Like storytelling being the most important thing. Um, And Mm -hmm. in that regard, we were discussing why this has been happening. And my take on it personally is that... um, after the success of Crash Landing on You, and then you had, you know, uh, Squid Game come up, and you had a lot of dramas in that, you know, uh, period after 2019 and up to 2021, it was just like the Korean wave, like a new Korean wave had started, and global investment came to South Korea, especially with Netflix leading the charge. And a lot of... Um, cable networks, which usually get like a lower number of uh, viewership, especially domestically, they uh, join hands with these international streaming uh, sites, first with Netflix and slowly then with other um, streaming giants like Disney, Hulu, etc. And what these cable networks started doing was uh, they started co-commissioning a lot of the dramas. They would make dramas with investment from streaming giants, from foreign investment, and making high production quality dramas, which we we got really used to seeing on streaming um, sites, sometimes exclusively on streaming sites, but most of the time available on cable network and streaming sites. Now, we go more into what the uh, distinction is between cable TV and public TV, which most of us are aware of, like it happens in all of our own countries too, but how they function in South Korea. We did an entire episode on the history of South Korean television. It's a two-parter. In the first part, we go into the history. In the second part, we analyze 
the more recent history. So basically what happens after streaming entered the market. And that will come out after these episodes. So keep a lookout on that. We go more into how cable television is different from, um, you know, public television in South Korea. And why public television, so like networks like NBC, KBS, SBS, how they stayed away from Netflix and other streaming giants, but why they are being forced to change their minds about this. Because streaming is, yes, here to stay, but it also substantially changed the economics of how the industry functions. Um, the industry can no longer function on sponsorships and product placements. They need substantial investment to keep up the quality that they have gotten used to. To One of the primary uh, places where this money goes to now is paying the talent, which is great for the most top-tier talent in the industry, um, including directors and writers. Not so great for the rest of the industry because some of the progress that was made in uh, labor movement, for instance, has kind of peeled back as the industry started moving more towards contract employees and therefore, you know, giving um, workers in the drama industry less security and less safety. Um, this was something that the industry was really struggling to improve on, especially mid-2010s. And there has not been much progress since then because the economics of things changed. And so where you know, labor movement was getting a little bit of traction before. Now nobody's talking to these groups anymore because if they go to Netflix, Netflix is like, ah, it's not our responsibility to talk to the production companies on the ground. If you go to the production companies on the ground, they're like, ah, it's not our responsibility to go talk to Netflix. And the laws are not being very helpful. So there are people who are trying to change the law, but it's taking a lot of time. All of this stuff is impacting how the industry functions. Um, I wrote uh, this wrap-up thing, which we are going to link in below, where I go a little more into um, how K-Drama Land has changed in the last few years and why we are seeing the um, huge influx of dramas on our screens right now, but why the quality doesn't... Like, the visual quality feels like it's gone up, but the story quality feels like it's gone down. So I go more into that um, in that piece, which we will link to um, below. It's very, very good. You should read it. It's most yes. excellent. Thank most you. excellent. Yes. But... It inspired me to start my demon. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I'm gonna go watch yeah, it. Yeah, I went right back now. to I went back to moving after that, which had stopped after one episode. So oh. I'm now on like episode eleven or something. It's so too good for me to finish right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a lot. It's like you can't binge watch it because you need to mm. like absorb it, yeah. yeah, properly and fully. And like it's just so good. It's a lot. Every episode of moving makes you feel like you need like a few days to just sit with it. And then right. move on to the next episode. I completely agree. So, sorry. In conclusion, um, <laughs> what we want to discuss today, especially the first part of this episode, um, trends, is the storytelling changes that we have noticed um, this year. And where we can go from here, where we are hoping the industry goes, what we want to see more of, and what we hopefully will see less of. Very well said. On a more shallow note, I guess, after that very profound overview of the entire industry, which, like, so well put, um, 
There were, this year was very tropey. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> and there were definitely trends in like the kind of dramas we saw. There were a lot of reincarnation, like past life dramas. There were a lot of contract marriage dramas. There were a lot of time travel dramas. Often these genres were mixed all into one. Yeah. Um, we also saw a lot of like old school tropes coming back. And I think sometimes it worked really well and other times it really didn't work well or it brought back things that we didn't necessarily want to see again, you know, from 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't watch a lot of those dramas, but I did watch Perfect Marriage Revenge. And I think it was a perfect marriage of tropes. <laughs> it was a perfect marriage of tropes. It was a perfect marriage of genres. You know, you had the revenge, yeah. you had the contract marriage, you had the time travel, um, you had the the evil mother-in-law you had the the birth secret you had name it and you got like there was just so many things going on and you could tell that they knew exactly what they were doing and they were using so many of these tropes in such a smart way uh with one kind of notable exception which we talked about in our spoiler (laughs) review which you can go back and listen to um but like in general i think that worked really well um and it was written so well as well that it was just like very easy to watch it also melded sort of those old tropes with a very modern, like with very modern sensibilities. What you find with the resurrection of old tropes is that they also resurrect old problems. Mm-hmm. And some of the dramas did do that, but like Perfect Marriage Revenge is an example of the drama that resurrected the trope while bringing in a very present day sensibility that made it so satisfying in so many ways apart from the couple of notable exceptions yeah i think like it was emotionally intelligent in a 2023 way um so you didn't have people responding to things in a in like a 1995 way which would have been bothering us a lot more which like do do you guys want to mention some of the dramas where you feel like this didn't work as well I think Borama watched those ones. <laughs> yeah, by you guys, I mean Borama. And I don't know if Borama wants to rant more about things that she's already ranted about. Well, to, to you're give welcome a few to. examples of things that um, they did well and then I don't think worked out so well. Let's talk about the drama that we all agree did it well, uh, Perfect Matters Revenge. So when you have tropes like uh, the woman being like this, mostly a housewife, but also somebody who's creative and has like a creative outlet that just incidentally suddenly turns out to make her a lot of money. <laughs> but, you know, it's like she's not somebody who's pursuing a career. So she is basically your, you know, housewife heroine. And um, she spends her time going to cooking classes, bonding with her mother-in-law. And it's like, it's very conventional, but it's the kind of conventional which you know is a reality for people of that class. It's not something that feels like a real throwback because we live, still live in that um, kind of society. What makes it more palatable when you see these things is because this drama is not all like this kind of trope is not all we are getting throughout the year with all of the dramas we are getting right this stands out because right now this is against the norm you usually see the um, female lead striving for her own career she's trying to figure things out she has her own full arc i mean as an independent financially independent individual 
And then you have a drama like Perfect Marriage Revenge where, you know, the female lead's career is not so important. Like, it's her relationship with her family and, you know, get, like, she is this orphan girl who also turns out to be, spoiler alert, the real child of the family. And then everybody who who said that they were the real, you know, um, members of the family turned out to be fake. Like the drama really emphasizes fake and real a lot. Um, that's <laughs> reinforced by bloodlines. Let's oh not my forget God, that. yeah. It's, it's the prima, primogeniture <laughs> thing is like really, really um, emphasized in the drama. So, you know, it, these are not tropes that you love and you certainly don't want to see them constantly being used. But it's fun when occasionally a drama like this comes in and it's used, like you said, in an intelligent way. People react to situations in a way that is compassionate, but also smart. And yes, the trappings of it, the framework of it is very conventional and not something you want to see in every drama. But when that framework is used to uh, progress a, a comparatively um, intelligent and progressive narrative, that's fun. The progressive narrative being like a really supportive husband helping her, his wife get revenge against a really horrible family. Mm. Um, and a heroine who actually has a lot of agency. She does. She not just has yeah. agency, she um, does her own investigations. She doesn't just blindly trust uh, her husband who's like willing to like invest all of his money as well as like body and soul into her revenge. She, she goes and finds out stuff about him um, independently, uh, making no excuses for it because of course from her perspective it makes a lot of sense. So she does her own investigations, her own plans, her own strategy, all the way trusting that, you know, the guy she is falling in love with is, you know, as he's saying, will keep on supporting her. It's, it's, I, I love it. It's, it's very, it's wholesome, but also smart and doesn't make you feel like the heroine is uh, a pawn in somebody else's narrative, which often happens with a lot of K-dramas where the hero's narrative takes over, especially in the second half. Did we have, and I think, Borma, you're probably the best place to answer this. How many dramas did we, or was there any sort of sizable or notable segment of dramas where you had like idiot heroines idiot heroines when do we not have those <laughs> okay <laughs> I mean I destined mean. with you comes to mind immediately uh, Castaway Diva didn't exactly give us the most um, smart uh, heroine uh, give me a second Castaway here. Diva tried though sure but, um, yes. no, dramas that didn't even uh, try I, I don't think it tried <laughs> <laughs> it was not her story. Puck and Ben tried. Puck and Ben yes. tried. That's a different issue. Yeah. That's they just like forgot about the heroine at, at a certain point. Anyway, we're getting a little off track. Do you want to mention any dramas that did the old school thing and you feel like it didn't work or it was a throwback in a bad way? Um, throwback in a bad way, yes. Um, for instance, Destined with You, like I said, it, it wasn't the best. You had a heroine who was. Who, who was operating without um, brain bits most of the time. <laughs> and um, a hero whose primary without characteristic... <laughs> I don't know how else to... Um, if, that, if the main lead of Destiny With You had not been Rowan, I don't think anybody would have continued watching this drama past the first episode. Rowan expended... Rowan does amazingly when it comes to humorous parts. He really, he is excellent with humor. Um, 
and he invested himself fully into this character this character is interesting i suppose from an actor's perspective where on the one hand he is you know cold and um arrogant but on the other hand he's also very vulnerable once he's under a quote unquote um love spell which i stopped watching this drama by episode i think 9 which was very late in the game but still i still don't know if it was a love spell or something that he made up so he could you know indulge in falling in love with a girl who he kept saying did not deserve him whom usually he would never pay attention to this is an old trope by the way where the hero keeps gaslighting the heroine and keeps telling her that she uh is not somebody he would usually have any interest in and also it's your fault that i have feelings for you fix Absolutely. it Absolutely of course yeah um so yeah i don't love that and i don't want this this to come back where the heroine is constantly made to feel like she is a stupid uh b worthless should just stop existing because she is an annoyance um in the male lead's life i just i and the fact that the female lead is expected to smile through all of that stuff and still fall in love with him i don't get it um i i feel very very hostile towards those tropes but yeah. anyway road is a standout performer even in that role however if if you want a better drama to watch please watch roman's other drama in 2023 it's called the matchmakers and he's so good uh, he 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 is uh, so good yeah, at I've it i've heard good things about that one i and it's a completely unexpectedly pleasant drama it's it's nothing that'll blow your mind away but it's got an excellent ensemble cast each individual uh story of uh these two matchmakers which are the main uh leads bringing couples together is just sweet and unique and it's just it's full of heart it's it's a lovely story also for once the king of uh choshan is nice like he's 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 funny <laughs> and he is a nice person That's i like historically yeah. inaccurate <laughs> it's yeah really um i but i like how you mentioned the rowan effect because like i saw somebody mention i don't remember if it was Destined with you or the matchmakers. I think it was like on social media somewhere. But someone was like, "Oh, you should watch this drama. It's really good. It has Rowan in it." And somebody was like, "Is it Rowan good or is it actually good?" Ah, yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> that, that's real. Yeah, Rowan good is definitely a thing. <laughs> And to what you were saying, P, about like the drama not being like revolutionary or anything. The thing is, we don't need dramas to be revolutionary. That's true. We just need them to do. the thing that they're meant to do mm. properly yeah which is like tell a good love story tell a good adventure story tell, you know tell a good like tell good stories they don't need to be world changing or ground shifting or anything like that they just need to be told well with some care and attention and love and hit you know certain beats in a proper way and that's it we all go home happy i don't know why that's so hard drama land <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So then <laughs> Yeah. I mean, so I was in clover with like a lot of contract marriage dramas to choose from, which like y'all know is my favorite trope. Every time one came up this year, I was like, "Anisa, here's a yeah. contract marriage for you." And I've started <laughs> at least started all of them. <laughs> I haven't finished all of them, but 
Uh, I don't know who it was that pointed out that Castaway Diva also has a contract marriage in it. Technically, Ooh, that's <laughs> which true. I was thinking that out. How does which one? Was well, the, the parents, the parents, the parents. The parents. I mean, though, does that? Was that, not, that was a love marriage. Like they ran away together. Not at first. He was like, "I'll marry you so that you can uh, escape from your evil husband." I think they felt they fell in love slowly after that. Hmm. I mean, we just don't he see kind of them fell falling in love. But okay. I, they, I, they I didn't thought, initially. He wasn't like, I love you, marry me. He was like, let's pose as husband and wife so you can escape from your abusive husband. But it That's, was because he had. It was because he totally fell in love with her. Yeah, exactly. Like he just. He okay, like, yeah. But how many like, contract marriages do we see where the two people clearly have feelings for each other, but they're like, it's only so I can get out of my debt, sign this paper. It's so obvious. <laughs> I, I don't feel buy like contract that. marriages tend to start without feelings, and that's part of the draw, is that the feelings develop after marriage. Unless you're watching My Demon, which yes, I shouldn't they do. spoil. <laughs> no, yeah, no, but I mean, I'm not trying to have a different episode right now, but I think that there's always an element of um, there's something special about this person, there's something about this person that catches my eye, because otherwise, why on earth would you get into a contract with a stranger to get mm. married? You know what I mean? Like, even if they tell themselves they don't have any feelings for the other person, there's always something that draws them to that person initially that has nothing to do with, like, whatever reason they've cooked up to convince themselves that they want to do this, you know? Yes, but, you know, Mm. there are two aspects of contract marriage which um, Castaway Tiva's couple don't quite click. One is that usually in a contract marriage, both uh, parties are getting something out of that contract and the husband gets absolutely nothing. He basically has to leave his job and run away (laughs) to save the woman and her children. He he became a fugitive, practically. And and the the second thing is that they get But he's such a beautiful man. Yes. That yes. if you said that to him, he'd be like, but I gained a family. What else would I ever of want? Course. Of course. That's an so true. <laughs> Sorry, what's the true. second reason? <laughs> the second reason is contract managers always start with an end date. Yeah. That's true. That's true. This was always yeah. meant to be, you know, forever. <laughs> I love how I brought something up as like a random aside and you guys were like, let's <laughs> argue with this. <laughs> let's have a, let's litigate this <laughs> seriously. <laughs> That's okay. the mood we're in today. Yeah, but um, but it was a good year. Is my point for contract marriages? I'm very happy. It was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was it like was there were so many this year. So many. I don't remember there ever being this many. They're always kind of like one-offs. You get one or two, and if you're lucky, it's good. A lot of times it's yeah. bad. <laughs> it's like very. <laughs> yeah. It's very hard to come across a year, even when there's like one really good one and more often you get one or two and they're either like mediocre or just yeah outright bad and then I'm always like huh yeah so this was an exciting year for me mm. I also feel like in many ways that like the supernatural fusion elevated so many of those as well like definitely Park's marriage contract oh, sorry sorry totally wrong drama definitely perfect marriage revenge um, but you also like it comes up like it's been coming up in combination like the supernatural fusion is kind of for me that's the characterizing thing of the year whether you just threw in the supernatural element with whatever other old school trope it was and then yeah. it became this completely different well that's kind of what i wanted to ask creature. you saya is like my whole thing about the contract marriages was kind of a segue to this is like a lot of those were <laughs> blended with time travel and usually mm. i mean you're a 
I'm not the time travel expert in this trio, but like I feel like <laughs> most either. of those dramas tend to be thrillers or mm. at least mysteries or, you know, like have that kind of vibe. And this year we had a lot of time travel dramas that didn't have that vibe at all. Yeah. Um, and some of them didn't even have murder. Shock. That I thought was interesting. Yeah, OK, I. I, I have to say something here. So um, in the in the article I mentioned uh, that I did on like the uh, year end wrap, I, it was originally supposed to be like a top 10, like my top 10 dramas, um, which again, caveat, it doesn't have to be everybody's top 10 dramas. It's not even the most popular <laughs> top 10. It's just my subjective <laughs> top 10. And one of the dramas I included was King the Land. And I got so much pushback on that. And yes, Anisa has thoughts. You can see it on her face. <laughs> All <Huh>? the thoughts. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that people were really divided on that. Like some people yeah. really loved it this year and some people really hated it. So, oh yeah, I've actually been surprised that there was so much love for it because I've been exposed to Parma's hate for it. My my <laughs> hate. I I liked aspects Parma of it. Parma liked it. I mean, oh, aspects really? of oh, wait, it. What am I thinking yeah. of? Oh, I think it was in the beginning when we first talked about it. You had a big rant yes, about some of the stuff, and that stayed with me. King the Land is a very interesting uh, project in which um, it starts off really bad. <laughs> Oh, it it ends I good, um, but you know, like the the reason <laughs> I brought this, it it is rare. Uh, the reason I brought this up is like I did like a bit of like an opinion thing where I was asking people. So the people who really loved an opinion this drama, poll. I mean, not a poll. <laughs> That's what I, we do now. I I wanted them to write in like their subjective opinion. So I was basically asking for people who really liked the drama, what did you like? And for people who didn't like the drama, uh, what was it that like the standout thing that you didn't like? And one of the reasons given to me for people loving King the Land was there were no murders. <laughs> A serial killer. <laughs> That's so interesting. People were like, it's just a love story. It's so uncomplicated. Mm. There were no serial yeah. killers. So what was the conflict in it? Because usually like the murder is... Class. The conflict, conflict was class. Oh. And it's not initially obvious because initially it seems like they are saying, hey, it doesn't matter if there is, you know, classism. It's all good. Classism, not so bad. <laughs> um, Chable <laughs> TM. But it's... <laughs> over, <laughs> over the course of the drama, you realize that the drama is actually sneakily asking some really pertinent questions, especially through the male lead and female lead's relationship. Um, and the more you realize how well they have written Yuna and Ijun um, Ho's, you know, the character's relationship um, and how well they communicate, the more the background um, buildup of, of every, like... Um, every wrong like the abusive relationships in the power structure that they have been showing till now but they've also been saying that hey this is just how things are the more prominent it becomes because like through the lens of the uh, primary protagonist which is not a lens that most people had the patience to watch and and find out about and i'm perfectly i i agree i understand you shouldn't have to watch a drama till its final third to you know yeah, you know get true. get this out of the drama i just really like but it's a nice reward if you've stuck with it yeah you know i wonder if this is a case of where like 
the higher ups were like, we want a candy table drama, write one. And the writer was like, but I want to do a really into, like nuanced take That's on what class I struggle. That, that and is then my they were like, theory. And then they wrote like three or four episodes that were like really bad, but they fit all those tropes. And they're like, okay, let's do it. And the, once the drama started airing, they're like, okay. Or like once they had like locked in their contract or whatever, they're like, now I'm going to like sneakily. That would be. That's that sounds exactly. like the plot of a K drama. I want to. I want to. I want to watch that K drama. <laughs> the story of the writer who's like trying to you do know, some guerrilla writing war- warfare. Yeah. So this writer is a first time writer, Cherong, uh, and I. I mean, yes. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that is what <laughs> I said. Yeah. There's not enough dramas about drama writers. I, I'll never have enough. Yeah, because more. I feel like they reveal some, like only a K-drama writer can write a drama about a K-drama writer that will really reveal something to you about mm-hmm. how the industry works. Because like, we don't have the inside scoop on those things. We haven't the had only... a good one like that since uh, be Mellow Dramatic. Yeah, Mellow is My Nature. Yeah. The other one, of course, Which is uh, Our Beloved because it's my first life. However, the ending was <laughs> a bit too... And out there. <laughs> Temperature of Love is another one. Yes, which that's a good one. Sort of forgot about it. Kim and Suk wrote pop. one too back in the day. Ooh, that was actually pretty good. That? Um was it called On Air, maybe? Ooh, I can't remember, but Kim and Suk wrote one. I've I've, I've 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 watched it. It's interesting from a sociological perspective. I don't know. I really enjoyed it at the time, but it was also like 2010, so I don't know if I would enjoy it now. But it was a very interesting behind the scenes look into like how dramas were made and the personalities behind dramas. We'll do this for our Kim and Suk episode, which we've been like putting off for many years. Or, um, or that the 2010s throwback that we're planning. Yeah. Are we planning that? Okay. To get well, back to the maybe. thread of what we were talking about, though, like it's interesting you say that, Borma, about like people loving King the Land because there was no murder. Um, because I felt like dramas were kind of dark this year. Is that just me? Like, even though I said that, you know, the time travels weren't all, like, thrillery and murdery, but, like, but I, I don't know. That's, like, the streamer effect, isn't the it? The dramas like, well, were really dark. There were a lot of, like, violent dramas. There were a lot of dramas that were kind of had a bleak outlook on the world. And even stuff that was relatively, like, like, so for Perfect Marriage Revenge, for example, it's pretty fizzy and, like, soapy and enjoyable and bingeable and like you can watch a lot of episodes like it feels it, it feels a little bit like high quality junk food and I don't mean that in a pejorative way at all but it's like so delicious <clears throat> and you could eat so much of it um and it's like very good mm. but it does but it does have like some really dark subject matter you know if you think about it it's just that the drama never like it just gives everything just enough time, but it doesn't like make you sit and wallow in it. But it is very, d- and so I feel like mm. there were a lot of dramas. Some like, moving is some is examples quite dark. of this would probably be like we got a second season for DP Death's Game, which mm-hmm. is airing right now. Duna is pretty depressing, honestly. Duna's pretty, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You had things like Bloodhounds and Agency and Duty After School, which I just started watching. I, mm. I didn't um, catch it before now. Um, Quite a lot, actually. It's the, but these these tended towards Revenant. Oh my god, dramas, right? I, I forgot about mm. Revenant. Oh, the also, glory, mm. the glory is very dark. Vigilante yeah. is also oh, yeah, really Vigilante. dark. Vigilante, yeah. Mm-hmm. So worst of evil, we forgot worst of evil. Um, 
Which was yeah. apparently oh. gratuitously. Black yeah. Knight. Gratu- Black Knight was pretty dark. That's a dystopia a where the world deal. is unlivable. The Yusung Ho drama, which I totally forgot about and didn't watch, but like you know, gratuitously. That was also pretty dark. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if that reaction was like partly a reaction to this landscape of dramas, where like I almost feel like because there is so much, it, like you know, all of the big money investment into K dramas. Mm-hmm. Where like everything feels like it has to be prestige all of a sudden. And in a lot of people's minds, prestige means like it's dark and it's heavy. Yeah. I don't know if that's I don't think that's all of it, but I definitely think that's contributing in some ways. And I don't know. Like I, I sometimes don't... you just want some fluffy, some fluffy like escapist TV, you know? I yeah. will credit so there is this video essay channel on K drama. It's called the K drama research. I forget. I will link to the video I'm referencing uh, below. Where So they were trying to address the question of whether uh, Netflix, um, I don't know, is bad for K-drama land, basically. Um, which is a concept that I have my own thoughts on. Um, but so I was watching their videos, and I don't agree with a lot of the points they were making. But one point they made made a lot of sense to me, which was that... Before, with all of the broadcasting rules um, that dictate how a K-drama should be made, everything from, you know, every time you enter a car, put your seatbelt on, which, you know, drama writers change into a romantic moment between the hero and heroine, um, (laughs) to (laughs) to how they hold cigarettes or don't hold cigarettes, how a knife should be held, to everything, dialogues that are used, everything has a broadcast rule on it. Um, So with streaming coming Mm -hmm. in, and yes, like we were talking about, um, at some point uh, earlier in the year, we did an episode where we were discussing how, um, you know, a lot of these drama opportunities, like these prestige, uh, shorter format uh, drama opportunities, first went to film directors instead of drama directors. That has actually been changing, especially in 2023. We saw a lot of drama directors, starting from, of course, The Glory, um, helm these big budget uh, streaming productions. And because of the freedom from broadcasting rules somewhat, you saw them tackling storylines that wouldn't usually be tackled in, um, you know, public television, basically. And the point that the video essayist was making was that Instead of, you know, the dramas we are used to being the real K-dramas, maybe these are the real K-dramas. This is the story that these writers and directors have been wanting to tell, but haven't been Mm. able to because of broadcasting rules. That's a good point. It's at least a point that's worth thinking about. Um, Do I want all dramas to be this dark? No, of course not. But (laughs) also something else to keep in mind is quite a few of these dramas are webtoon adaptations. Vigilante, for instance, is a very popular webtoon that was adapted to screen. And a lot of these gorier dramas, uh, sorry, gorier webtoons are getting adapted to screen, but they would never have Mm. before because who would, you know, sponsor them who would uh, give them the budget so that's also a drama like moving the supernatural drama which was honestly they outdid international supernatural dramas like i was thinking of how we had heroes uh, in the early 2000s and the potential for that drama or even something like sensate and how th- that potential never came to fruition but moving did what all of those dramas failed to do um and where would they have gotten the budget for it or even the clear trust 
that the you know the production house had in the talents um, pushing this drama forward mm. it could only have happened in disney um a, a, on a big streaming platform it's an adaptation it's a webtoon adaptation <laughs> so i i yeah i i look at it optimistically honestly uh, especially now that the industry is pushing back and you have local production houses claiming back titles whereas you know before streamers would come and be like we own the title because we are putting in so much money now production houses are not bending over so easily they are asking um for like you know uh, ownership of ip uh, they're taking in less investment from these streaming giants they are diversifying investment sources basically trying to keep more control over these properties now let's see where we go from here but right now it's it's a space where a lot is happening we can only see and and sort of hope that the industry develops into a space that gives us all kinds of stories and not just yeah yeah, yeah one yeah. kind I'm talking a lot to him. Yeah. So sorry. No, no, yeah, I agree it's with so great stuff. Like, also, thanks for uh, you know bringing me back up from my cynical, you know, like <laughs> takes. Which, sorry, I don't have a lot of those. But I, yes, let's hope for the best. And I, I mean, th- that is a good change that we're you know that we're seeing now. And I, I hope that it opens up K dramas to more things. It's interesting, right? Because like those rules that you know objectively are pretty restrictive created this thing that you know that we all found you know 10 plus years ago and like really enjoyed um and i wonder if it's also like especially for longtime k-drama fans it's also like a taste thing of like oh like this thing that i loved so much is changing and i don't know how i feel about Mm. that um i don't know how i feel about that i think like some of it has been good and some of it has been not so good personally but like does that matter? I guess is the question. Yeah. Like, if, if the people are making the stories that they want to, and I and I do think that there is, there is there is definitely, um, still that sort of global that pressure to make something that will be globally appealing. Like more of that pressure than there was before, um, and I and I don't necessarily think that's a good pressure. But if it also means that people can make, I I just hope that it leans more in the direction of people making the stuff they want to make and less in the mm-hmm. in the direction of let's make something that is going to sort of appeal to the widest and lowest common denominator. Agreed. I still feel that we don't need the sort of the level of uh, gratuitous violence, the random nudity, the sort of explicit sexual content i don't think we need all of that to still have the good stories and i feel like once those things come in that puts me off watching them so completely selfishly i find that a little bit sort of more restrict it restricts what i can watch in terms Mm. of storytelling because the relief in finding k-dramas was complex storytelling without those things that make it you know difficult for me to watch Mm. or that would make me decide to not watch something that's yeah for example there is this um scene of full like kind of like partial frontal nudity in In the the glory glory, right which Which, came completely randomly and it came so suddenly (laughs) that you had no chance to prepare for it or look away so if that is something that would put you off to have that slap on your face given no chance at all to opt out um is is difficult because there was no yeah. need for a scene like that unless it was for the shock value and this was a discussion that happened immediately after that episode aired like what was the purpose like there was no storytelling mm. purpose to that 
Um, so yeah. And I also feel that's very male gazy back in the, you know, if we talk about the way that K dramas catered to a female mm. gaze, I feel that when you go towards that other, you know, that sort of what we would describe as a more globally appealing type of drama, sort of the HBO type of drama, it then becomes more catered to a male gaze than a female gaze, I feel. Which is yeah. like neither here I, nor I there, agree. And also to that point, I'm going to bring out my demon because again, we are all enjoying that. Um, and <laughs> it's a good, it, it's something startled me. Anissa, you may not have reached that part yet. There is this shower scene, like a male lead shower scene brooding. <laughs> He's thinking it's a fan service scene that's meant to give you like a few seconds of like glimpses of how fit the male lead is. The the usual K-drama female gaze uh, way of doing things is like, you know, a gentle, you know, water falling on his shoulders. Like you pull uh. back, show his back, maybe little glimpses of his abdomen. I'm honestly fine with or without that scene. <laughs> I don't need it. But this thing where you make the, you know, male lead stand facing the camera. And he's just standing there. It's like, I, I think it, it went on for too long. I think it's like long five seconds of him just standing there <laughs> under the shower. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you're seeing his entire full chest. And like, there is no purpose to that scene. Like, for instance, if yeah. you're watching Bloodhound and you have the two male leads like stripped down to their waist and they're both like really well-built men. But the, there is a purpose to that scene. Like they are, um, you know, they, they're fighters. They're oh, athletes. I see what you're saying. What am I? Why am I looking at this guy just standing? This is like, hey, have a shirt. Let's sunk him. Yeah, just let, let's just stare at this man while he's in the bathroom. <laughs> and I don't, shower. Think, I don't yeah. think they would have done this if, you know, this was a a, a television only or a, te or a primarily television. Oh. And the other thing that they did in My Demon is where one of the characters' uh, name is Pokyu. And you have another character... <laughs> Very emphatic. So I, I, I know. Like, listen, I am. I understand that level of humor. But what was startling to me was one character <laughs> underlining what that, how that can be mispronounced by not just saying as you would. I'm, I'm sorry for swearing on the podcast right now. That's not the intent. But they don't just say "fuck you." The woman emphasizes "fuck you," which they would not have done if this was, you know. Meant for TV primarily. They did it because... But then you had that in run-on as well, though. Yes, was you do. Netflix drama? I can't remember. I don't... Okay. But it was also like a, a streaming first drama, as in like the investment came primarily mm. from streaming. And it's interesting to me because those mm. things, it's not so much that they wouldn't be allowed, like those, the, the writer wouldn't even think of including these things. But they do because they know that the same rules don't apply to these dramas. You know what I'm talking about? There's two characters. They, I do too. Come, I'm not complaining about the character writing, but you know what? These know, moments like, stand out to me. Just thinking about it yeah. is making me laugh. They're <laughs> 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 hysterical. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just having my own movie reel playing in my head now. <laughs> they have a lot of great moments. Both of them do. I, I love them so much. <laughs> <sighs> To get back to murder for a second, though, I know we're rewinding about like half an hour or something, but um, I kind of was a little bit disappointed that we only had one murder time travel because I would have taken them all as murder time travel. <laughs> only one? My Perfect Stranger. Perfect Marriage Revenge had murder, too. Oh, but not, not like it wasn't that it wasn't 
Oh, it I see. The, same. the murder you was kind of by the way, and it wasn't the main. Point. Right, right, exactly. It wasn't a thriller. Like it wasn't a thriller. Yeah, because mm. usually I actually find you know what I do every few months. I sit down and I scroll through the time travel um, tag tag on my drama list, <laughs> trying to find what is there that I might have missed. And the only ones that I've missed are like the pure romance ones, and I they I don't feel the same way about those as I do about the other ones because mm. it's. They're a different type of show. And I'm actually quite surprised I watched so many of them this year because usually they're the ones I'm slower to watch. But yeah, My Perfect Stranger started me off and then I was like, okay, I, don't, I can't get enough of this. Give me more. Hmm. I suppose the story of Park's marriage contract does um, count as a it murder time It does, travel. but it moves too slowly. <laughs> it, it moves too That's slowly. True. And it's, so, it's not that it moves slowly, it's that it picks the wrong things to focus on and then it spends the time on like irrelevant parts of the story instead of advancing the plot parts mm. which is just like it's annoying to me i agree and it's still there's still a good story in there they're just there it's proportions but you know while listening to your episode your lone uh yak episode where you were talking Moran. about i loved it so much because <laughs> I, I lost my mind i know come on it was so much fun it was great um and the, the part that I absolutely loved was the female lead uh, adjusting way too quickly to modern times. On the one hand, the way she's characterized, you can see that, like you said, she's a really intelligent character. Her adjusting to understanding and adjusting to modern times is not surprising. But the quickness with which she adjusts to things that should be habitually difficult for her, that really throws you off. It feels like what was the point of the... What was the point of bringing mm. her from the past if you were just going to make her a completely modern character? Yeah. And like the fish out of water element is lost. I already found her way too 21st century, even when she was in the past. And that's part of the reason why I haven't yeah. come back. I was watching it with my sister and she was like, why does she have such a modern haircut? <laughs> like you and I, Anissa and I had this conversation um, the last time we all got together. Like we'd stopped recording and then we just talked a little bit about it. And, you know, Anissa said to me, then you need to remember it's like a fusion saga. It's not an actual. That is like, true. Don't, you can't take it seriously in its either in its historical parts or in its modern parts. Mm. But it still made me so mad, even yeah. though I was like trying to hold that in my head. Like, no, this is, this is not OK. Yeah, like they're doing it deliberately, but it still mm. kind of made me roll my eyes. I was yeah. Like, OK, like you need to pick your thing and commit to it. And it wasn't doing that. Yeah. So. Pick one, and also we will pick one drama that we love the most <laughs> in our next segment where we'll talk about a Yuri K-drama. So let's get into that next. So how are our personal years in K-drama? How was it? Like, what... What did you love? What did you hate? What did you change <laughs> in your relationship <laughs> to K-dramas? <laughs> I've been watching them this year. I had a better C-drama year than a K-drama year. <laughs> um, every trope that I liked in a K-drama, for instance, like the whole uh, going back in time thing, uh, was done better in a C-drama. For instance, Coding Palace did it pretty well perfect marriage event was still great and it was very entertaining but like that seemed to be like the operative uh thing anything i liked in a, a k-drama was done just 
so much better in C dramas. For instance, Meet Yourself. Um, the whole, you know, girl goes to uh, the countryside to sort out her life thing, which Samdaldri is doing right now, is just, <laughs> again, done so beautifully in Meet Yourself. And one drama, of course, that I really liked uh, that didn't really have like a, a C drama parallel that was done better is Call It Love. And I, I can't explain my affection for this drama. It's, there was something so compelling about the attraction between two people who are so slow to trust, but also seem to be the exact opposite of each other initially. And then you slowly find out exactly how similar they are under their layers but also a drama where a a major part of that process of falling in love is their individual personalities clashing with each other which is the kind of conflict you rarely find in drama land because the conflict is almost always external here is an internal conflict you have a female lead who's very abrasive with her words who's very blunt to the point where she doesn't just hurt the individual she's speaking to. Um, She sees that as a badge of courage, saying what's on her mind. And then you have a male lead who is too much of a pushover. Like he just takes it when other people throw things at him. And you have at various points, the female lead pointing out that him just taking abuse and never fighting back is not helping anything. And you have the male lead pointing out that her just saying hurtful words is not an effective mode of communication. The fact that this is written into the storytelling and done so compellingly where it feels like their relationship is just like the push and pull of it is is deepening and, and just so rich is... It's the kind of writing that I aspire to. And honestly, for me, in 2023, Call It Love is the standout key drama that I'll remember the year by. That's me too. I (laughs) (laughs) co-sign. I I like everything that you just said. I want to say also like that internal personality sort of conflict. I mean, obviously, there's another reason why it's hard for them to be together, which is kind of the premise of the drama that she's trying to take revenge against his family. Which is also, like, by the way, a really old-fashioned thing that they brought in, yeah. but it doesn't feel old-fashioned. Just No, so because well. they completely change how they approach this extremely mukjang trope, right? But like that personality conflict, which is the real conflict. I mean, that's the one that you sort of experience throughout the whole drama. And then the the revenge thing comes in much later. It's it's kind of a non-issue for a lot of it. And that internal conflict, I haven't seen that done this well in a romance since uh, Run On, which mm. was another one where it was really, okay, yes, there was some class struggle. There was some other stuff. But really, it was like the people that they were kind of clashed and yet they were attracted to each other. And so mm. like they had to work out, okay, how do we make this actually work? being the people that we are how do we learn to be together because we really want to and like oh you know that's just the best that's the good stuff that's like the emotional like relationship building like complex sticky wonderful stuff that I love and I think like with call it love it also had such incredible vibes but it wasn't a drama that solely sustained itself on vibes even though the vibes were strong enough that it kind of could have (laughs) 
it had the vibes. It had the chemistry. It had an incredible ensemble cast where like every single performer was acting their heart out. It had beautifully written dialogue. It had even more beautiful silences. Uh, the music was gorgeous. And what the drama was saying was so beautiful, you know, at the end. And it was such a it was one of those dramas that like really stay with me in the sense that like it was both incredibly melancholy and healing at the same time, which is mm. like hard to do well, you know? And I remember you saying early on that it reminded you of Interest of Love. And it did start out reminding me of Interest of Love as well, which is another drama that I really loved this year. But in the end, that mixture of like melancholy and healing gave me similar vibes to Just Between Lovers. Or I think mm. what's the official title? Rain or Shine? Mm -hmm. Um but, you know, like you have these two very damaged people who have been hurt in different ways by the same thing in some ways. Um, and they find each other and they probably shouldn't have found each other, but they do. And they fall in love and they end up and that ends up being like a, a vehicle for personal growth and healing. And it's not that falling in love healed them. It's that meeting each other sparked something within themselves that caused them to be able to finally move on from what happened to them in the past. And I just love that so much. Yeah. <laughs> also, Kim Young-Kwang and Lee, Lee Sung-Young were like oh. two of my favorite performances of the year. They're so perfect together. I want to see them in something happy next. <laughs> but for me, this was such a soothing romance. This was... It, it's one of those cliche things where you feel like their hearts were talking to each other, even when like they were saying things that they didn't quite mean, weren't quite being able to express themselves. Mm -hmm. There is that moment where um, Kim Yong Kwang's character basically confessing his feelings to her. And it's such an unexpected confession that happens. It just moments like that just... Uh, Okay, we, we've said enough. We, we love it. We've it's, said enough. Yeah. Watch we it love this <laughs> if you haven't watched it yet. <laughs> I guess the last thing I will say is there's a lot of subtext. Like, excellent so subtext. Just yeah. The subtext is better than the text in a lot of ways. Also, just, really great um, secondary cast, uh, including, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sangjun? Sanjun was great. Yeah, I hadn't seen in uh, a long while. I'm I'm just rewatching I Need Romance Three, where I loved him. But it's it's been a while that Sanjun's done like an interesting performance. I really loved him in this. Yeah, and I, like the last thing I'll say is the romance was beautifully done, but every single other relationship was also really well done, very mm. fleshed out. It felt real. The friendships, the sibling relationships, the parent and child relationships, whether they were good or extremely toxic, like everything was excellent. Okay, Saya. <laughs> Saya is feeling very left out. She just should watch dramas. Saya should have watched Call tell them to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't help being myself. That said, however, you know, I, I wrote this down, as you said, Anissa, you know how you said the drama is a vehicle of personal growth and healing. I feel like that's what I've been doing this year. Like I am going through personal healing in a lot of things. And that's probably what I sought out in dramas. And it's probably what's kept me fed. 
I was initially going to say Perfect Marriage Revenge is my drama of the year, but as you talked, I realized it is my drama of the year, um, also thanks to the recency effect. But also, I think the quiet hero of the year for me is not in fact a drama, but a film, which, you know, we have an episode coming up on it, but Past Lives, that was... (sighs) That was many things. <laughs> this is cheating. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but like, as you were saying all of this, what I was planning to say just changed completely. I mean, I mentioned C drama, so so I should be allowed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, what I was going to talk about is how you know it started off the year pretty okay with like our blooming youth and you know uh, what is it the there's too many perfect name dramas. What, what, per, my first, oh, perfect my perfect stranger. stranger? Yeah. Mm. And, you know, me and my thrillers and my constant search for a, a hit. But, like, I don't think I really watched any, like, K-drama thrillers this year apart from, you know, that one or two at the beginning of the year one. <laughs> Instead, I've sort of ended up seeking comfort in, well, <laughs> I was telling you guys before we started recording that I was organizing my watch list and like I've got this big section which is just titled BTS, unsurprisingly. So (laughs) I've been watching lots of stuff that hasn't been K-drama, although it's been K-drama adjacent. Like I've watched a lot of variety. I've watched a lot of BTS variety. I've also sort of slowly transitioned into the sort of web variety and like YouTube talk show kind of thing. And those are very... They're very rich. Like you can watch like a, you know, a 30 minute uh, segment of something like, you know, Shuchita or like, you know, I use palette and you're just like, it gives you a lot that keeps you fed. And then drama sometimes takes from that. And the other thing I also realized as you were talking is that I've gone out more. (laughs) I've just, you know, the time that I had to sit down and watch K-dramas, part of why I've watched less is just like I'm being more active in sort of my offline life. I'm meeting people. I'm, you know, saying yes more than I'm saying no these days. In fact, I don't even think about saying no these days. Like talk about a complete sort of turnaround in the type of person I actually thought I was. Mm -hmm. But I'm experiencing a revival of like my desire to have a social life. (laughs) thanks Anissa for kicking that off by the way (laughs) I live to serve (laughs) excited that I was a part of that I I think uh, so listeners Sai is referencing when I went to visit her last year uh, in the end of November beginning of December and we were going out like every day and so I was like I can't go out every day and then after I left (laughs) she was like you got me into the habit of going out every day so I'm gonna continue (laughs) to have a social life I was like yes and I've been doing that like you know every Every week, my calendar was full of like, you know, meeting this person at this time. I'm doing and I'd have like my sort of personal days where I'd go off and do something by myself, whether that was just like going to watch, you know, pointless films or watching good films. I did that, too, because, you know, I discovered that I had access to very cheap cinema tickets. So I've rediscovered the joy of going to the cinema. That's been really fun. This year has also been the year that I think I may have finally outgrown YA. Um, I read a lot less this year, again, because I was just going out more and you know, doing stuff. But also, it's not appealing to me. I'm just not interested in those stories. And I found myself 
gravitating a lot more towards, you know, these mature romances of grown up people thinking in grown up ways and experiencing and dealing with conflicts that are much more recognizable to me in my own life. And that's that's been uh, an interesting revelation because I suddenly realized this like last week and I, that's at the very top of my notes. 2023, the year I outgrew YA and didn't care. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you have a crisis of identity. I remember having this conversation <laughs> with you a couple of years ago. I was like, I don't really like YA for those reasons. And you're like, but you don't understand. It's so heightened. <laughs> it's so good. I was like, yeah, it's just, I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah, I I um. Uh, a slow what is it a slow learner a slow grower so no I mean I I think that why I think why I think you can love YA your whole life too like you don't have to outgrow it quote unquote I think it's just like that's true what are you looking for right what do you mm. need what do you it's want no longer your... keeping me fed I guess is yeah. what I'm saying yeah but I also think like you know whatever we enjoy it always comes back to the writing doesn't it and like the writing in YA no longer has that ring of an emotional truth to me like there's a there's something missing in it and it's I could still enjoy youth dramas but I'm not as immediately drawn to them as I would have been 10 years ago like we were just talking the other day about school 2013 what well, we weren't talking about it I mentioned it but um oh and airs <laughs> but mm. these dramas that I automatically would have watched 10 years ago now it would take a lot for me to start a youth drama and feel the compulsion to just jump into it whereas Actually, even the mature mature romances take me a moment, but they they do have a bigger draw because I just want to see people behaving sensibly, doing things that I can imagine, like making choices I can imagine making, and yeah, yeah. So my year in K drama was I just didn't watch that much, like. I started a lot of things and I dropped a lot of th- I feel like I usually give things at least four episodes. I feel like I dropped a lot of stuff this year after like one episode, mm. two episodes. And like, I think it's two things. I think one of the things is what Barma, you mentioned in your year end review um, essay. Like there just weren't a lot of dramas this year that like just stood so far above the rest. Like we had a lot of good dramas like decent dramas i it's not one of those years where i'll look back and be like oh yeah like that these are like the dramas that just like really stick with me like yeah i really loved call it love i really enjoyed perfect marriage revenge um the interest of love was a very interesting and like i was like really hooked during the entire time that was airing but i don't i don't know how many of these dramas will other than Call It Love, I don't know how many of them will, like, really stick with me in the mm. long run. Um, I, you know, and, like, I, I watched about half of Glory and I'm, like, about halfway through moving. I just have, I just, so part of it is that, like, we did have good dramas, but I think the, the amount of dramas is kind of overwhelming the quality of dramas in some mm. ways. Yeah. Where we sure. have, uh, you know, 10 times the amount of shows that we would have 10 years ago, but, like, like you said earlier, and we were talking about this in our group chat, like there's not even a handful that we kind of would like remember as being iconic from the year. But I think the other part of that is just I have had a really busy and eventful and like tiring year and I just have not had a lot of energy to watch things. 
mm-hmm. or that much inclination to watch things. And I think work has been very all consuming. But I also think that like I'm I'm wondering if I'm starting to get out of that that glow of K drama fandom that I used to have. And I don't know if it's that the shows have changed or if I've changed or if it's just like a natural progression of like being a fan of something, you know, at this point, it's been almost 15 years. Um, I don't know. Mm. I don't know what it was. I, I just wasn't as engaged this year. I think only I think I finished like 10 dramas um, and a lot of those I didn't love that much. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Um, so. Not to be all depressing and stuff, but that was kind of my year. But I also think it's okay. It is. I I get feeling, you know, you had a few dramas that started off in a way where it felt like, hey, this is a fresh take um, on something conventional, for instance. Love to Hate You, for instance, was actually qualitatively a pretty good drama. I didn't agree with the gender politics of it. Um, I think I've spoken about this in the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly it was it it made that mistake where it equated uh, wariness of men with misandry while you know you also had misogyny in display. it it equated misogyny with wariness of men as if they were on the same level. and it Ugh. was not the best. However, the actors, um, uh, Yuto was in this drama, for instance, and I I hadn't watched Past Life, obviously, at that point when I watched uh, this drama. And after I watched this drama, I went and watched Past Life. And my God, that's like such a discovery of this actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was a drama that tried to do something new. So you also had something like, um, what, was, what, what was it called? Bora de Bora, um, which started off interesting. It 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 showed it spent quite a bit of time showing you the main female leads devastation after a really bad breakup, where that breakup didn't just affect her personal life but also her professional life. You had an actor like you and fully committing to the performance of that grief, and it's really convincing and it's gut wrenching to watch. But then the rest of the drama just like feels like it's it doesn't know where it wants to go and it just it you had a lot of these dramas where it felt like they were trying to do something new and then it just didn't do anything new and it it didn't it failed to stand out but also what it did was it disappointed you in like a really heavy Mm. way like you were just building up your expectation and then it was just like crash and burn. Um, a sillier drama that I can bring up is um, See You in My 19th Life, which was a webtoon I really loved. It was a pretty gently written webtoon by um, the writer of Ihe, who also wrote A Good Day to Be a Dog, also very similar, like a gentle type of web- webtoon. It, the pacing is very slow. But then adapting it into drama version, they completely messed up the pacing of both dramas. And they were not even by the same studios. Uh, they, it was bought by different... Uh, the Two properties were bought by different companies. They were both released in 2023. Uh, and they were both messed up. So this is what sometimes happens when you adapt a webtoon which hasn't been written like a K-drama. You have webtoons that are written like a K-drama so they translate very easily. And then you have webtoons that are written in a very different... very differently paced. 
and then you yeah. struggle to adapt them into onto the screen so you had these moments when you're like oh this is an interesting story the concept is so interesting and then the execution just they don't just do it badly they crush you with how bad it is and yeah. that happened really often this i started 54 at this point dramas this year i just started gongsong creature i don't recommend it it's it's oh, got really? the visuals in place it's oh. got some of the it, it's trying to be funny horror and it's not oh. succeeding in any of But it the like it's so good i yes. know Yes, yeah. oh, that's I know. Disappointing that's disappointing. Yeah, I've heard other people say that they were disappointed in it too. You know, Porma, like I really actually that reminds me of something that I was going to say and I forgot to say about this year is that like there were a lot of sh shows that did different and new things, and a lot of them disappointed me. And and the shows that I ended up loving were much more of that conventional. Yes, uh, exactly. Know, it was the romance. It was like the. The romances that were like old school kind of conventional that like really worked for me, like, uh, like Crash interest of love. Romance. Yeah, like interest of love is a melodrama. It's in many ways, it's like a very K drama, you know, like uh, Crash Course in Romance, pretty like pretty straightforward romance. Um, call it love. Uh, the romance between Han Yeoju and Jo In Sung in moving. moving. Welcome oh, to Sam Dali as so well. well I, I haven't started watching that, that yet. But you know, like the dramas that I was really excited for, and also like Perfect Marriage Revenge, like a really great old school romance with like, you know, and all of these have like updates and, you know, they are from 2023, but it has that like essential romance K-drama like DNA. Whereas mm. the ones I was really excited, like I was very excited for Castaway Diva, completely disappointed me. You know, the other dramas that I was really excited for because I was like, ooh, how are they going to do this premise? crash and burn like see you in my 19th life <laughs> it was like such a nothing of a show that i was i dropped it after i don't know like five or six episodes and there were other shows where i would just start them my lovely liar that and i was, was yeah i actually watched all of my lovely liar yeah. but yeah that was also like such a an interesting premise yeah. they didn't do anything with it they didn't go anywhere with it so It's like they forgot their own premise halfway through and they were like, we were making a point. And then in the second half, they were like, what was that point again? I don't think we need to make it anymore. <laughs> Even with like a good day to be a dog, which I'm like slowly watching at this point. I'm, I don't know, like eight or nine episodes in. And I'm like, what about the premise? Like, aren't we going to move with that premise? <laughs> like nothing is moving. It's just, just by the time I'm you're like, in okay. episode eight, you can pretty much stop. It feels like it, it's ended anyway. It's oh, really? I don't. Yeah, uh -huh. because they they wrap up a, a a primary conflict of the drama, and there is still conflict left, but they are just moving at a glacial pace. Okay, maybe that. I'm like I'm on like seven because I have, we haven't wrapped anything up where I am, and I'm okay. like, come on now, like how many times are you going to try to engineer yourself to be in the same place as him at night and nothing happens? Like. This is getting I'm, old. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to complain about that. I found them very cute. <laughs> I mean, the dog is very cute and their interactions are very cute. But I'm just like, come on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I felt that a lot. The come on feeling. Like, yeah. can you please tell the story? I, I don't want to just be stuck in this single static moment. Yeah. Which seems to stretch on forever. And it's annoying. So, for instance, one of my top 10 dramas is My Dearest. And it's a drama I will go to bat for. I love it so much. The main romance is so great. But at some point in the middle, 
the conflict does get a bit repetitive. I think it was extended too much. It didn't have to be a two-part drama. It really didn't have to be like that. But it, it's, it's just like with Alchemy of Souls, it's like you're deliberately stretching a story mm. that, that's getting really high rating into yeah. two parts so that you can milk it more. And that affects the pacing of the story. That's just... Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Frustrating. I also felt like there were a lot of dramas where like I knew what the basic premise was going in and it took like four, five, six episodes to actually get to that premise. And so I was like, why, why do I have to sit through all of this time where like we know where we're going and there are no surprises and yet we're just, you know, like, I, I don't know. That was my experience with a lot of shows. I don't know if y'all had the same. That's true. But that said, this also was a year where I think 12 episodes dominate over the six, mm. the sort of tr traditional 16 episodes. So in many ways, many dramas did feel tighter and, th but then they just weren't telling good stories um, some yeah. of the time, or they just have like that one fatal flaw that marred an otherwise good drama that sort of kept it from being the drama you could take home. Hmm. I think also, like, I have to acknowledge that this is also, like, partly a me problem because there were definitely dramas throughout the year that, like, I know people loved. I know I'll probably love. I just haven't geared up the energy to watch yet. Like, for example, yeah. DP2, I know I'm going to love it. Do I have the emotional fortitude to watch it right now? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I watched the first episode of My Dearest and I was, like, on board. But I was also like, oh, this is like an epic war drama love story and I'm going to cry. I'm just going to like pause. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like so, you feel you need to do some kind of mental prep to get yourself into yeah, the and, state and, where you can watch it. Yeah. And like I knew that the glory was going to be really dark. And so I waited and I had to like stop after seven episodes. I was trying to like binge watch it for the year and yak. And I was like, this is emotionally like exhausting harming me like i can't keep going yeah. like i need to take a break and come back to this and i know a lot of people love that one so like maybe i just didn't watch a lot of the shows that people loved but i don't know like i didn't have the emotional space for a lot of these shows yeah yeah i i definitely got a lot of comments um and dms from people who had just seen like you know the numbered list of dramas that included and they were like you mad it doesn't have a time called you it doesn't have i don't know whatever drama it was that worked for mm. them and i'm like but it's a personal list <laughs> like <laughs> here are 10 dramas that worked for me it doesn't have to be yeah you know, your yeah. list and unfortunately like it doesn't matter how long you spend on your list or how much research you do or how much time you spend on it. Like yeah. people are going to be bad that it's not the list that they had in their mind. I have to also acknowledge that I got like the loveliest comments too from people who were like, you know, goodish list, but <laughs> here are other dramas that would have, you know, would make it to my own list. And I acknowledge that. Good for you. Yes, exactly how yeah. you should approach lists. I think, all, yeah, that's a very healthy way of approaching this. Yeah. It's like, here, here's, this is a nice list. I also would have put this on my list. Let's share our list. That, you know, like, it's so personal. Yeah. yeah. You know, I both love and hate how, like, the review functions as a way of expanding your watch list. Like, here are more dramas <laughs> I need to add to my yeah. watch list. Yeah. Like, great that there are more, but when am I going to watch them? And I think that's also why I feel like the year end yet gets harder every year is that, like, 
we watch the this amount every year. of dramas that are available to us to watch just be it's like ballooning it's not even like slowly expanding over the last like five years <laughs> it's you know those like graphs where you see the exponential yeah. you know the way that yeah that's what's happening and it's like you know a lot of the shows that end up being really popular I don't know, like they blow up on TikTok and I don't even know that they're coming out. You know, like we don't have the ability to do what's up in drama land anymore because there's so many shows coming mm. out that like we wouldn't be able to keep up with them. So like I'm not even regularly checking what's upcoming. Same. Um, you know, I do that. I do do that, but I don't do it like constantly. Mm. So it's hard to predict what's going to become popular and which like like which shows people want you to talk about at the end of the year but also like it's just hard to watch everything because there's so many things like we used to be able to like not watch everything but i kind of used to watch everything like back in 2009 2010 try it yeah Yeah, like at least check out the first episode or the first three or four episodes this is definitely a streaming effect and this is true for Mm -hmm. every country the volume of work that comes out, it's simply not because it used to be regulated by the time slots you got on television. So there would be a limitation to how many you know dramas or mm. you know, shows you could yeah. release in a year. But now yeah. there is no such regulation. Yeah. Put out as much content as you yeah. want. It can be infinite. It can be anything. Right. Episodes can be any length, you know, <laughs> any number of episodes. Yeah. I think but like that... this is also not just something that we're feeling because I, I we heard, I got a, I saw a lot of comments from people also when we were asking them to vote in the Gogoma Awards, which we'll talk about in the next episode. And a lot of people are like, I don't feel qualified to vote because I hardly watched anything. And I was like, vote anyway, because neither did we. Yeah, <laughs> it, it feels overwhelming. And also the other aspect of this is that there's barely any promotion for a lot of these dramas. Yeah. Like you don't, like Dead's Game, for instance, I found out Dead's Game was releasing like two weeks before and only because a few people started talking about it, um, uh, Sai included. And I didn't know Dead's Game was coming. And it's it's got the biggest, like, it's got the mega cast. It's got an insane cast. It's got all and your favorite people. It's got everybody. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't yeah. even know about this thing being, like, it, it, there must have been some buzz. But what happens is you have so much coming out through so many channels. There is little to no budget put into marketing of individual dramas anymore. Like the cars doing mm. interviews once the drama starts airing is not promotion. Promotion happens yeah. beforehand. You you create buzz for a drama that's being released. There's no such thing anymore because they're like, hey, we're yeah. dropping it on streaming. That is all promotion. That's required. No, that's not but how it's you... also like the streamers don't necessarily have the infrastructure that has that process, like the drama rollout. Well, where are they going to put it, right? Yeah, When you had broadcast television, when your one show was coming to the end, you would put, you know, promos for the next show in like the last few episodes. (laughs) I forgot about that. And people would be like, oh yeah, this is coming next. (laughs) Like now, instead of watching, you know, this show at 9 p.m. on Thursdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays, I'm going to watch the next drama that's coming Mm -hmm. out. And now it's like, you know, if you're watching Netflix... You don't have ads Um, on Hulu. If you don't have a premium subscription, you have a regular subscription. You do have ads and they will promote really random shows on there. I will say (laughs) like it's never tailored to what you're watching. Like I remember I was watching some show on there and they were bringing like this promotion for some show with an actress that was popular in the 90s whose name I can't remember anymore. And it literally felt like a show from the 90s. I was like, who wants to watch this terrible sitcom? And it just kept coming over and over again. (laughs) But like with most streaming platforms, you aren't watching ads. So I I guess like what they do is they put ads on like social media, but then that's also kind of 
dictated by the algorithm and a lot of the algorithms are very you know, wonky. So Netflix so, content or, you know, like like what used to be Swoon, mm-hmm. the Swoon mm-hmm. has now been rebranded into um, Netflix content, which is just not... K-content. K-content, yeah. Oh, really? It's, yeah. Why, why would you rebrand it to that? What, it, what on earth is going on? We are familiar with the people who, who created and used to run with, uh, familiar as in like we know of and have worked under, um, the people who used to run the swoon. And then they left and then this was completely rebranded. And now that is the only ch- promotional channel that they have where they release the trailers and then they release those Jenga playing cast um, <laughs> <interactions>, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which is fun which is fun but that's it that is all there yeah. is and then yeah. you have Vicky's own promotional channel which does exactly the same thing on Instagram I mean so it's just become so scattered right and like yeah. diffused and so and I'm sure you know as somebody who also creates media and is trying to figure out how to market it to an audience and like I mean we worked with a marketing firm to launch the broadside this fall and even they were like well you know like you put a little money here, you put a little money there, you promote it over here. Like you have to promote it in so many different places. And then you're just kind of like observing to see wh- where you kind of get results. And like nobody really knows. And it's kind of a broken system because that's everything exactly is the new. thing. You ha- don't actually have metrics that directly show you that promoting on yeah. this social media versus that show, the social media actually gets you more dedicated viewers slash listeners on this other platform. The, the cross-platform translation is very hard to track. So it's just a mess at this point. We don't know what we are throwing money at or, you know, (laughs) effort um, on. And like, you know, if you haven't seen the K-drama tracker to give you an idea, like I went basically I went all the way like through all of the dramas that were listed on my drama list for 2023. And even and I like, you know, excluded web dramas. I excluded dramas that had like 10 minute episodes or like, you know, like shorter runs. It's not a perfect system because the format is so all over the place. But I can't, but even with that, like sort of limiting what we put on there, it was 125 dramas. Wow. I'm honestly like more than half of those I did not know even existed before yeah. I made, was working on that. Yeah. So like, who can even find out that so many shows exist? None of us. Yeah. So. So, so that's that, what I mean, you know, again. like <laughs> that's why. Yeah, maybe the year end yak is feeling more scattered. Um, but you know, I think that's why it's so good to have the Gogomas be like vote based, and we've been like slowly moving more and more in that direction. And this year, they're completely vote based because, like, all of us are having a collective experience, and no <laughs> one person or even a team of three people can watch enough dramas to yeah. make a definitive call about you know the year. Yeah. Before we wrap up this episode, there are certain notable moments of our year as, you know, hosts of this podcast that we want to go over. So the most popular episode (laughs) of Dramas Over Flowers in 2023 has been uh, this half episode uh, of Goblin Retrospective that Sai and I did in 2022. <laughs> you guys still love that one. The one that we promised a part two for and still haven't done. That you <laughs> recorded without telling me on your own <laughs> when we're I couldn't wait- join you. We're, we're waiting to do a, a part two together like all three of us so maybe yeah. that's a project we should pencil in for 2024. I feel like once we finish My Demon it'll be a good time to talk oh, about Goblin because they have a lot of... They do similar because of the parallels yeah Yeah. so Mm -hmm. you guys you guys still um love that that's still going weirdly viral (laughs) times (laughs) um 
So Gong Yu never dies. Gong Yu never <laughs> dies. Literally never dies. He's immortal. <laughs> He's an immortal goblin. <laughs> and then last year's uh, Year and Yak, the first episode was also like that's like the second most popular episode for us, and then the third most one was uh, the. Uh, episode we did focused on Anissa's thesis on uh, crash landing on you. That is our third most and also the most shared episode uh, of 2023. Definitely and, a flagship episode yeah. of the of the podcast. I'm so glad we finally got to do it because we've been talking about it for like yeah. years. I, well, and also like I'm really happy that people responded to it because I was like, who's going to listen to this like long academic nerdy thing? But actually, people people did really appreciate it. So. I appreciate that y'all appreciated it. It just it was, added uh, something that was not really there in the conversation about the drama because this was such a hype drama and for good reason. It deserved mm. it. But it also really deserved that academic critical analysis that, you know, not everybody can do because not everybody has that background. So thank you for being our professor once again. <laughs> it's just, it's so valuable, Anissa. We now, we what now we do without the you? episode where uh, <laughs> Professor Anissa comes and talks about contract <laughs> managers. <laughs> I'm so excited for that and murder rom-coms yes. I feel like we've been talking about it for like six months yeah I'm, I'm currently working well I need to work I've created an outline I need to work on the essay for <laughs> that I'm is like a flow charge for uh, <laughs> about on. murder rom-coms the flow chart is already created I need to write um, a proper post about about contract marriages though and then you can present it to the class yeah then I'll <laughs> present it to the class <laughs> I'm very uh, excited about this. <laughs> yeah. We also did uh, an anniversary mailbag episode, which we kind of do every year, but um, we got some really great questions. Um, mm. and, and you should definitely go back and listen uh, to that episode if you missed it. And we had quite a few external <laughs> appearances, one of which is Anissa guest hosting the Embodied podcast and inviting um, Saya and me over to talk about, you know, the fandom experience, and which is a brilliant episode overall. Um, she has a lot of really interesting and uh, smart guests, and Anissa does an excellent job of being a host. Segwaying from that, Anissa launched her um, own podcast, The Broadside, which Anissa needs to talk about. <laughs> well, we launched a new, um, new like a weekly news and culture podcast at my work, which is um, WNC, which is the NPR station where I live in North Carolina. And uh, if you're not familiar with NPR, it's like National Public Radio. It's basically like How dare our you biggest. Not be familiar? <laughs> I mean, maybe people are <laughs> not. not. Everybody is our listeners are all over the world, yeah. but it's basically like a publicly funded listener supported uh, national news network um public it's called public media where we live it might have different names where you live but we have you know local stations and i work for our local station um and so like my team launched that in the end of september and they asked me to be the host and so because of that i got opportunities to go on other podcasts like uh, guest hosting embodied which which is a podcast that my colleagues at wnc make but also got to like be on a panel on Nerdette out of WBEZ in Chicago, which was really fun, um, and a couple of other Too things. Cool. That was that was exciting. That was like representing on other pods. Um, but the most exciting thing was having Saya and Barbara 
come over and be with me at work and uh, and like all my colleagues being like oh my gosh your friends are so smart and charming and I was like aren't they aren't they the best and I was like so proud and it was very exciting it was Can a I crossover say, event of, of the year Borman I felt big glow of pride at like oh this is our friend Denise she's cool everyone yeah. knows it now <laughs> I mean, they know anyway, but it's also like we get to bask in it a little. (laughs) And then speaking of basking in your glory, um, you two went on another pod, another YouTube on a YouTube channel. Tell us about that. Your guest appearance. I'm going to let Borma tell you. No, 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 no. <laughs> this was all you, Saya. You started it. You have to talk about uh, yeah, it. Yeah, but I'm, I'm supremely embarrassed by myself at all times. I just couldn't stop myself because it was BTS. And I had to take Borma with me because that's what I do. And then we ended up finally launching our own BTS YouTube channel. It's called Bangtan Over Flowers because thematic connections are important <laughs> that that is correct and we managed to drag anisa um into that too and um she she contributed so much honestly because anisa is uh, our sombe when it comes to uh k-pop she properly knows k-pop history she knows about like second gen groups that we barely know about she she's gives... not only our vip she's yeah. a vip she's a vip <laughs> 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 and if you if you if you watch the video which i will link below so many links please watch that and you will get that joke if you didn't get it already <laughs> yeah. uh, everyone knows but us Burma. everyone knows but us where, where the late comes <laughs> but 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 see Saya does but you this make thing. it make up for it for your deep and intense nerdy knowledge about bts so i have to say like you're i cannot I'm I'm never gonna reach that level and never attempted to reach that level. So I'm very no, impressed. That, by that that is all Saya. I, I just get dragged along sometimes just just because she needs like I don't know, somebody emotional to stand support. Next to her. Yes. <laughs> A support blanket, what you call that? my emotional <laughs> security <support>. blanket. <laughs> Um, the channel that we that we went to, uh, which by the way we didn't just like walk in there. Uh, it's called the Throga Channel. They are uh, songwriters and um, composers who um, have their own reaction channel, and so they did a, a, a competition that Saya won, and then you know she dragged me there uh, as the guest, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. We did two videos with them, and then we did Bangtang Over Flowers, where we did one video, and then haven't followed up yet. But it got a it got really good. Response. I want we to so follow it up it. with like a proper spring day kind of you know, yes, the one where we sit down and just talk about spring day and watch the many versions, like, a and curated list of yeah. And we need we need Anissa for this. So we do need that's Anisa our next that. project. Yes, we we're, we're going to be the spring dayists. Okay. I I had my Sounds own uh, BTS. Uh, thingies i did outside this yeah um, you've totally <laughs> yes yes so, talk about your tell articles us about everything yeah, yeah. so the, this is the year i'm apparently relaunching my career as a writer <laughs> isn't it yes i'm here for it <laughs> which is a dream i kind of gave up on sort of uh like six years ago when i transitioned into podcast production instead didn't quite give it up but didn't really have that it wasn't a priority anymore but earlier in the year, or when you know BTS was celebrating their tenth anniversary, 
I had an offer from Hindustan Times uh, where they were like, do you want to write about that? And I did. And it's it's behind a paywall, but shook. it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And because that. I, I wrote that and, and Zaya read it and she was like, wait, I think you like BTS. <laughs> that, that was very evil. <laughs> Did you not already know that she likes no, it? Was, you know what it is? In our group chat, basically, I'm the one who's always like writing off like 10,000 word essays about all of my feelings and crickets, which is fine because that's <laughs> okay. And then she comes out with this deep, emotionally touching piece where I'm like, wow, I didn't know you felt that way. I was really shocked. <laughs> I, was like, I thought it was just me. But like she wrote this whole... You know, it was so emotional and I was like, I want to cry. And I didn't know. I didn't know. She kept <laughs> it on the very down low. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like between Saya and, and me, Saya definitely feels like she feels a lot more. And so because she already expresses all my thoughts and I don't like see the point. in repeating I express my thoughts. Time. I'm not expressing your thoughts. <laughs> Express your own thoughts. <laughs> okay. Uh, the other. Zaya often expresses things so well that we're left at a loss of words. We're just like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Plus, she has all of the like links to the right music videos and and the right bangtang bombs and like basically all the clips and stuff. And which you know she's bringing receipts. How do I even? Yeah. <laughs> so what are you, you know supposed to I say do? after that mic drop? Did you see my bag? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't go um, there. I won't go there. I'll leave it at that. Enough BTS in jokes. I have one more BTS article coming up next year, but it hasn't come up yet, so we'll see. Um, the other thing that I wrote was the uh, article that I uh, told you guys about, but what is most... Like the thing that I am so proud of, aside from having somehow accidentally written an article that was much deeper than the listicle that I was asked to write, <laughs> <laughs> is that it, it, it was for Film Companion, which is a, 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 a media company that I have had a basically a girl crush on for years at this point. Uh, it was founded by Anupama Chokra, who's a, a renowned film critic. And I never thought I would have the opportunity, but... Um, Thanks to uh, their managing editor, the Panjana, I did. She thought I might be able to write something half decent. So <laughs> thanks, the Panjana. So proud. Yeah. It's We're so, so proud. Good. And it was so good. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So good. So we had a lot of proud moments this year, like personally and also as a group. But this was also a hard year um, for some couple reasons in particular that we want to talk about. The first one is that, like, as of the date of recording, um, we just found out yesterday that our beloved Lee Sung-Goon passed away, apparently by suicide, although they haven't officially released the results right now. Um, and that's just a really, really heavy thing. But we didn't want to let this recording go without talking about just just remembering him and and expressing our sadness and also our, our anger at how he was taken from us because I mean many people have wrote about this at, at this point but he was really like targeted and harassed over like 
unproven allegations of you know drug use and other things and it's just been like a really horrible time for him and his family and it shouldn't have happened that way and we've lost someone who is so just a, such a giant of acting but also like just a, such a larger than life person um that i think none of us will ever forget we have i'm gonna stop myself before i start crying yeah it was, I, I woke up yesterday, I saw the news, and I thought that um, it couldn't be true. So, I, it's it's one of those situations where we, we saw this happening in the last few months. It started from October. The last two months have been, we, we are watching from the periphery. We barely get bits and pieces of what's constantly happening in his life, right? We hear a bit of news one week and then like a month goes by and you hear something else and it doesn't seem as intense from the outside as it must be from the inside. Um, I will link to a newsletter issue that was written by um, Jeha Kim who does a beautiful job of uh, both factually putting down by um, th with dates what was happening, what he was going through, uh, the bare facts of it. And also puts it in the sociopolitical context that, you know, this situation was developing in. Um, we all have our personal thoughts on the current stance of the conservative government, um, especially on this war on drugs thing that the Western world has already seen the futility of. But apparently Korea has decided that they need to reinvent the wheel and fall flat on their face yet again while grinding down on a lot of people in the process. So that is something that we are watching happen from the outside. There's not much we can do aside from talking about it. And as we have said before, in situations like this, talking about this openly is like the only form of protest that's left to us, especially because in this situation, we can't even like directly, we are not part of the electorate. We can't vote this government out. We can't be a part of that voice. So externally, this is what we can do. And I know that has been like a lot of people are feeling this really hard because Lee Sung Kyung was such a huge figure in the industry. This is a man who was a national pride of South Korea just two years back when he was holding, um, he, was, he, was, he was standing at the Oscars. He was like, Parasite was winning its awards. And just in two years for the entire country to turn on him like this or over what are essentially rumors. I, yeah. Yeah. So we just went through this and there is another thing that we need to talk about. Um, just happening for months and months and months and we all know about this. And honestly, it's been happening for decades and it's the war on Palestine. Uh, it's the it's occupation of Palestine. <laughs> I mean, it's not war with, it's on. It's it's right. with the people of, of Palestine, with the unarmed citizens of Palestine. Um, and most importantly, it's the it's not the state-sanctioned occupation, it's it's UN sanctioned, it's US sanctioned, it's 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 all the powers of the world who call themselves democratic and liberal turning on people who can't really defend themselves and saying your rights don't matter because our friend, they are the ones who matter. It's gaslighting on a global scale mm -hmm. as well as 
everything that it actually is. I think one of the reasons that we just haven't talked about this is partly I think anyone who's listened to us for a while knows exactly how we feel about this. And also, like, what can you say? Like, yeah, I I think it's there's just this like feeling of like you're watching an entire people be decimated live in front of your eyes on video. Everybody is watching it. Everyone knows what's happening. And yet still there's like this completely insane narrative that is somehow right. framing these victims as the aggressors. And you're just like, like you feel like like. What, what do you even say in that kind of situation? You know, and like all like something that's so clearly happening and it's so wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, like people who are pointing that out are like, especially, you know, in my country, which is the basically the, the one country that is powerful enough to just allow this to continue to happen with impunity and also is funding it for like 75 years. It's it's so sickening because like the only people who are pointing out how wrong it is and are speaking up against it are being fired or being ostracized, being punished, being harassed, being doxxed, being receiving death threats like for what for saying like you can't just keep killing children and committing genocide like like even the fact that I just said that word is like such a hot button issue like this is something that has been impacting us. It's I, We know it's been impacting a lot of the people that listen. Um, we care. We want the violence and the occupation and the ethnic cleansing to stop. But like so many other people, we feel pretty powerless and it's very demoralizing. And honestly, like that's part of the reason for me, like I didn't really feel like I was in the much of a mood to watch K-dramas, especially for a lot of October and November. Um, yeah. And even like all of the good things that happened this year feel like on a lot of levels don't really matter in the face of this. You know, um, I don't know about you guys. I never stopped talk thinking about it. I never, you know, like it's hard to sleep at night. So we, we just wanted to bring that up because we were talking about our year and that was like it, it continues to be a really big part of this year. Yeah. And we don't know, it doesn't look like, you know, in the initial weeks, because you had people talking about it from the very beginning, trying to put things in context, but also trying to explain perspectives that most people in the world don't know about, haven't really cared to learn about, because the dominant narrative is so much a part of history books and, and you know, what the media usually writes about. The fact that everything didn't just start in October is is something that is a surprise to most of the world, even for people who are liberal-minded and, and progressive or people who just in general do not support genocides of any people. It's, it's information to them because for a lot of people, they always thought Palestine and Israel were on equal footing, which is a, a fantasy that is, it's, it can only have been propped up by... <laughs> There was a lot of money involved. Very powerful propaganda. Yeah. yeah. It, it's inevitable that when you care about a, a subject, you, you go into it and read up as many perspectives as possible because at no point do I want to be somebody who just listens to one side and doesn't give the other side a chance to explain themselves. And I, the, the problem is that I 
have read so much and heard so much and watched so much and I don't even have TikTok in my country. So if you come at me and say hey, TikTok is radicalizing me, I don't know what to say to you. Um, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Where did that come from? <laughs> because that's, that, did you not know that in America, that is your, your dominant conversation point right now, that the youth is being radicalized by TikTok and that's why Gen Z is is pro-Palestine. Yeah, I saw an article from Vice a few weeks back that were like, uh, TikTok isn't radicalizing teens, they're just pro-Palestine. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's the kind of, it's the kind of ridiculous fluff piece debate that you can only have when people either, I don't know, don't care or there is a concerted effort to distract you from the actual events on hand. Well, I think, both of those things are true. Yeah. Probably, yes. But the people who do care, their hearts are being just completely ground down. Which is not the, like, I know that the biggest tragedy in this situation is not that we are depressed. It's it's the fact that 20,000 people in Gaza are gone. They're just completely gone. And let us never forget that more than half the population living there are, are children. They're under 18. Refugees already. And they're refugees. There are barely eight hospitals functional um, throughout Gaza. And most of them have under 10 people staffing them. Most of these hospitals aren't admitting anybody new anymore. They don't have doctors and nurses because most of them are dead. It's not that they have gone anywhere. They have nowhere to go. It's, it's a situation that is so mm-hmm. distressing and... I don't understand why having sympathy for people who are dying is somehow making us wrong. But that is the world we are living in right now. And I don't I don't care that a decade from now people will look back and be like, this was the wrong way of doing things. How could we have done this? I don't care that your conscience is going to wake up a decade from now. This will always be the hell that we are living through and witnessing. Helping to create. Yeah. And helping to create. So, yeah. No, I mean, I feel a lot of, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm going through again, you know, what we saw post 9-11 where, you know, a lot of people were just being massacred because we could and we wanted to we when I say we I mean like the U.S. government and so, and then like 20 years later everyone's like oh yeah well we shouldn't have invaded Iraq that was bad so what so what like who cares millions of people have already been killed and displaced what's the point of saying that now and also like also what's the point if you're going to turn around and do the exact same thing in 2023 like the take this the death and okay yes tragic and horrible death of like a couple of thousand people which is bad no one is saying it's not bad, but taking that and being like, oh, well, this is a justification for just complete and outright war on a people who had really nothing to do with it, with no restrictions. It's appetite. And and you can't even say that out loud. 9-11 is pretty recent. You go even further back and we watched exactly the same thing happen with the Bosnian genocide, which... Yeah. Everyone watches it happen. They are all saying, oh dear, it's happening. But they wait until enough people are killed, until the ground is leveled, before they're like, oh, hey, maybe we should tell them to stop now. Like, the the point, the genocide is the point. And I can't say that enough. It is the point. 
And if that is the point, then what? Like, I don't know, man. Look, as a person who believes in God, I'm just like my prayers are my weapons. That's all that I'm relying on. Apart from like doing all the things that you can do that you should do, like do what you can do physically with your bodies, with your voices, with your fingertips. But, you know, as it, at the end of the day, it's just, I leave it with Allah. That's, there's nothing else yeah. that I can Unfortunately, do. Unfortunately, there is no, nothing even approaching perfect justice in this world, in this life. So we can only do our best. And it is what it is, and it's going to continue to go on, and we'll just... We have to let our rage, like, we can't digest our rage. You can't just let it pass through you. You have to use it to fuel you to to do something meaningful in, in this world, in this short life. And I think for, you know, to, to bring it back to our podcast, although what does that even matter in the scheme of things? I think, like, if you know us, if you've been with us this long, or even if you've joined us recently, you know that we're not the we're not the type of podcast and we're not the type of people who just want to enjoy what we enjoy as escapism and leave it at that. Like for us, the ideas matter, the ethics matter, the values matter, what we are doing and consuming and talking about what it means that matters to us. And so that's why we wanted to talk about this. And we know that for a lot of you, all of this stuff really matters too. And that's why you listen to us. And we wanted to see you and and hold that space and yeah, just have have some moments together to just process. And we love all of you and we care about you. So this is I think that's part of part of that care is is acknowledging how we are all feeling. So as always. You can find us on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Anisakleaf underscore. You can find me at Not Now Saya. And you can find me, Parma, at The Drama Notes. You can also find us on Instagram at Dramas Overflowers underscore. And email us, dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. And our website is dramasoverflowers.net. And make sure that you sign up for our newsletter the link is in the description or you can go to dramasoverflowers.substack.com and we'll see you back here for part two of the year end yak bye, bye. bye.